0: Because often, like, on reality shows, you know, you hear people, they're like, I'm not here to make friends, which is like, oh, uh, like, that's actually weird. I see why they get the villain edit, because when you are in this, like, little microcosm of an existence, it is natural to make friends, and your friends will help you. I made friends, and they are why I was able to win the show.
1: Listening to the Taste Podcast. I'm Editor in Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel.
2: Today on the show, Matt is talking with Valerie Lomas, a former Washington, D.C. lawyer and author of the new cookbook, Life is What You Bake It. She also competed on and won the Great American Baking Show in season three. So, Matt, what's new in the world of Valerie Lomas?
1: I love the way Valerie writes a recipe. I love the way that she writes her blog, Foodie in New York, and I love her Instagram personality, but mostly I like hanging out with her. I met her a few years ago uh, in Santa Fe, and we've caught up a few times over the years and finally had her on the show. We talk a little bit about her season on The Great American Baking Show, a season that never actually aired because of the many allegations made against a former judge. We also talk about her answering some of the baking world's biggest questions, Anna. That's questions like cookie versus brownie, pie versus cake, mint versus white chocolate.
2: I vote all of them.
1: All of them. You don't have an opinion, mint versus white chocolate. I
2: want. I want them all. All right. All
1: right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: Here's Matt talking with Valerie Lomas. And make sure to visit tastecooking.com for our latest stories, fresh recipes, and to sign up for our newsletters, which drop on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.
0: (laughs)
1: Valerie Lomas, welcome to the Taste Podcast.
0: Hey, I'm happy to be here.
1: Okay, so you write in your book, The California bar exam and baking competition show mystery challenges are things to fear. Yeast, however, is not. I I mean, that's great. I, I love that line. So what else shouldn't we fear as home bakers?
0: Ooh, I think we should not fear trying something new. I think a lot of home bakers, it's like you have, you know, maybe you like go to dish or you're comfortable with like your brownies in a box. But um, if you can kind of get over that and, mm-hmm. and try something new, um, you're going to discover really delicious results. And a lot of things you, I have to wonder, I'm like, why did this become like a popular commercial product like brownies? Yeah, yeah. you can make them more quickly than it takes to go to the store and buy a box um, but also something people should not fear is frying donuts
1: okay so you took on frying donuts you took on making bagels you took on ham pies so like this isn't like a cookie book this isn't a paste like a, a pie book you've taken on all of these These things that I think are hard as a home baker, but they're not, you're saying?
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought they were hard too (laughs) until I was like faced with a chat, like a literal challenge, like a Uh television show saying, This is the challenge, make donuts. And that's when I decided, Okay, I have to do it. Because I mean, the donut challenge was week two. I was like, I'm not gonna go home week two. Like that's too early in the season. Got to figure out how to make donuts. But once I did, it was like, oh. And I feel like with baking, the more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to be doing it. And you'll see that, you know, the things like yeast or like maybe a custard that you cook over the stovetop. Those are things that I think people kind of shrink up about and they're like, oh well, gonna skip that recipe. You see
1: double boiler and you're like, oh no, skip, skip next next.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you actually just go in and try, and you know, it's like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Like when you're baking, you're gonna like sometimes you're just gonna you might yeah. end up with a flop. And Honestly, those are the best learning experiences. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So you refer to uh, the show, which is season four of The Great American Baking Show, which you won four years ago, almost to the date, correct? Yeah, I mean, time flies. Your life has has really uh, changed. Obviously, you went from you're a lawyer, and you four years ago were on a show, and now now I'm not a
0: lawyer. Oh yeah,
1: good for you. Thankfully,
0: I've graduated from that my first career. Um. Did did you? uh, I don't. I mean, did you actually? Did you end
1: up watching the show? Because it never aired. um, But did you end up watching the show? And and really, what was that whole experience like for the Taste audience?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, it was funny because the the premiere aired and I had like six days. And I think during that first like week before the show got canceled because of whatever bad things happened um, or alleged, I was like watching the show on repeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just kind of comforting because, you know, we had gone through such an insane chaotic crazy time filming the show and it's like you just don't know what the other side of that is going to look like and the other side is like the edited side that Mm -hmm. is you know broadcast to literally millions of viewers at home Mm -hmm. and seeing how it all came out and came together I was just like it's beautiful Mm -hmm. and I was really proud of it and um And I thought, you know, everything looked great. We all looked great. Um, And, you know, when the show ended up, you know, getting nixed, yeah, it was really disappointing. Did I ever see the episodes? Um, Eventually. I think it took maybe five months, Mm -hmm. four or five months. And then I was sent, like, a, a special super secret (laughs) copy um, you know with like my name right in the center of it in case Mm -hmm. it disappears and ends up on YouTube Um, and honestly I didn't watch it for probably a year Mm -hmm. because it was I just honestly I tried not to even think about it because it was it was something that was kind of painful to think about Um, but like in my book I, I talk about it and in writing it you know I went and I relived those feelings that I had kind of, you know, kept, you know, put away in the back of the in the back of the cupboard behind the spices <laughs> yeah. that behind the unloved spices that don't ever get used. But
1: <laughs> but you 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 won the show, you know, and and you write in your book, which I think is rare. We, we've interviewed on the Taste Class podcast some contestants, but you write very candidly how to win a reality show. I love that. I, I think that's really great section in the book. So just tell us, how do you win a baking reality show?
0: <laughs> yeah. I, so, I mean, in the book, I wanted there to be technique pages about, you know, how to, whether it's how to fry donuts or just something that I I've, I felt like I had a little expertise on. So, um You know, I I talk about how important it is that you make friends, because often like on reality shows, which is is kind of what this was, you know, you hear people, they're like, I'm not here to make friends, (laughs) Um, which is like, uh, it's weird. Like, that's actually weird. I see why they get the villain edit, because. Um, When you are in this like little microcosm of an existence, like (laughs) filming one of these shows where it it just takes over, you know, every aspect of your brain and your Mm -hmm, life mm -hmm. at that time. It is natural to make friends and your friends will help you. So um, I made friends and they are why I was able to win the show. Um, Like one of my friends, he taught me how to make caramel. And it was after like actually after he got kicked off, you know, he was still there at the hotel um, and he taught me how to make caramel. Another one of my friends, Molly, she was like tasting my cookie recipes and she was a finalist. And um, the other finalist, Cindy, like during the grand finale challenge, both of them helped me get my desserts plated it was like that final second. It's like
1: survivor more than what you think <laughs> about like Hell's Kitchen. You think it's like a little bit of alliances and I'm really it's cool to hear that there were there are good vibes at the hotel even if someone got kicked off.
0: Yeah, I mean there were there were mostly mostly good vibes. I mean, I think it's just like it's bakers. Yeah. You know, we're we're not like restaurant chefs who are used to some kind of like super fiery environment.
1: Enough with the reality TV show stuff because honestly, you are a cookbook author. You are a television personality, whatever the title may be. You you transcend the contestant. I've been so impressed to get to know you and just get to see how you think. You've written a few articles for Taste. I really appreciate that. And I wanted to get into uh, Life Is What You Bake It because I love that title for stuff. Like shout out to that title, really good title. But let's start with your breakfast section because like I just like right away was like, wow, this is a really robust section about baking breakfast. So why should you bake breakfast?
0: Yeah. Um, Breakfast, I feel it's one of those it's one of those. Like intersections of like baking or like even like fun like pancakes. It's not. It's mm-hmm. kind of. It's they're a quick bread essentially. Totally. Uh, yeah. It you know it's like fun baking, but like it has a very specific purpose. You actually get a meal out of it. I don't think you get that with baking otherwise. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's a
1: dessert, or it's like a small little bite at the end of a meal. It's not actually. Exactly. The ba- yeah, no. Yeah, breakfast
0: yeah. is the meal. Yeah. You know whether it's you know um French toast or. Um, or like my blackberry oatmeal cake, uh, which isn't really a cake at all, but it's cake cake like. yeah, um I think that's why i'm I'm always so drawn to breakfast recipes. Mm-hmm. Um and also for me, it really does remind me of like family because it's weekends, it's holidays yeah. where you're lounging around with your family and you want to make a special breakfast.
1: Do you have a a go to? Under thirty minutes, I need to make brunch. Let's go. What's that recipe? Ooh,
0: um, I mean, pancakes are always like a winner. Um, you know, I have I have a quiche lorraine in the book. Yes, and that could definitely be like super quick. You can have it for dinner. You can have it for lunch. You can have it for brunch. Um, super versatile. Super quick.
1: I love that. I've done quiche Lorraine quickly. Um, Not as pretty for me, but I think it's a crowd pleaser. It's not too sweet. It definitely feels like a real hearty meal. Good one. Let's pivot to chocolate chip cookies because I feel like this is an everlasting topic that we should always cover um, on the podcast because it's probably one of the most popular recipes. So you write, a good chocolate chip cookie isn't just about taste. It's about texture. So tell us, how do you get great texture for a chocolate chip cookie?
0: You know, honestly, the I think there are two things that will give you good texture. One is making sure that your cookie dough is cold when it goes into the oven. Yeah. And another thing is kind of like a bonus because your your dough must be cold. <laughs> That's like not so negotiable. But the bonus is aging your dough, because, which just means you put the dough in the refrigerator for like 30 minutes or up to a few days. And when you do that, all of that flour has a chance to hydrate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get better browning, more even browning, more like it just makes everything tastier. So I think. For those two, those are the two most important things mm-hmm. about cookie texture.
1: Really smart. And what about the chocolate chip of choice for you?
0: Yeah, my chocolate chip of choice is not a chip at all.
1: Oh, right now, your bar, <laughs> your team bar.
0: Yeah, I'm team bar. So, look, I I love to travel, and whenever I travel or just I don't know, go to go to a store where there's nice chocolate for sale. It can be the grocery store. I don't know. I just collect like good bars of chocolate so when I'm making my chocolate chunk cookies yes you can use chocolate chips but if you really want to impress just take a few of like your favorite good quality chocolate bars it's going to make a world of difference and like you know if it calls for 8 ounces use two different bars
1: for sure like I think it's a great way to clear out some of the bars you may have lingering in the back not that I have that because I eat my bars but um, I love that (laughs) (laughs) you're right like who has chocolate bars laying around (laughs)
0: I I do, but do. my mom, if she were around, they would be gone. But yeah. um I and I like using different ones. It actually just makes the cookie a little bit more interesting. Like yeah. you might have one bar that's like seventy percent cocoa and then one, you know, that's I don't know, sixty two percent. It's just gonna like give taste buds just a little bit more to like, I don't know, it just makes your brain go off a little bit more.
1: A couple of years ago, um, we had an in-conversation on taste between you and Ruby Tando. And I thought that that was, uh, I was able to, I was on the Zoom when you were both talking and, and we will put the link in the show notes to that great conversation. Uh, and Ruby, you know, is uh, also a cookbook author who had a, a history of, of working um, in television and doing a competition. Have you stayed in touch with Ruby? Are, are you, um, are you like, talking about working on a project together? I, I'd love to see it. I'm just, like, trying to like... I Feel love
0: it? I love what you're out here manifesting. I'm trying to um, manifest. That's a great
1: <laughs> word. I, I just you both I just you have written for taste and I really respect.
0: Yeah, no, Ruby she's amazing. She's so talented and she's so generous and she actually um She reviewed my book in advance and wrote a blurb. So, um, you know, if you want to see her thoughts on it, you can (laughs) check out the book. They're also on on Amazon where the reviews are. And, um, you know, and she's got a book coming out this fall. It's coming out actually next month. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited to read it. It looks amazing. But, yeah, she's someone that, you know, I think a lot of us just look up to because, Mm -hmm. um, first of all, she's just cool. Uh, but she's also like she's so cool. She's cool. Yeah, she's like rad. she's got that cool factor. She's rad. <laughs> but um, you know, she's she's so eloquent and she's so intelligent and she, um, she she just moves with such integrity and yeah. you know her philosophy about just like access to good real food. It just comes across everything that she does.
1: Could you maybe do a pop together? I feel like that would be so great to to have you know, experience some of your, your cooking together.
0: I love that idea. <laughs> I look, I'm like, I need to go, you know, across the pond yeah. and go, you know, meet in real life. My, <laughs> my friends. <Yeah.
1: laughs> well, it's nice to, to see people. IRL. We're in the taste studio in, uh, in New York. haven't seen you in a couple of years. Just nice to see you.
0: I know it's, it's crazy. Like we are people with flesh. We
1: are real people. We're not here. screens. Yeah. Um, you launched a Patreon that's cool. so what what how does that work? i I love uh, I love that idea that uh, we can support you, we can buy your book, of course, but we can also support you as a creator. I think it's the future of food've written about it on taste what's the what's your Patreon experience like?
0: Yeah, so you know I launched it and I my experience it's it's evolving and ongoing. Um, And, you know, what I envision for it during this next season is basically just creating exclusive, longer form Mm -hmm. content Mm -hmm. for subscribers. Um, And, you know, I like I I definitely think it's where the future is going. Um, And I look at, you know, Substack and all of the different options. And I just think that, you know, for me, since I do truly just love sharing food with Mm -hmm. people, I think sharing that experience like mm-hmm. in video and like in a longer form with like a forum where we can talk about it and we can share what mm-hmm. we're doing um, in like an actual like intimate little community. Um, I think that's going to be the best fit. But it's it's evolving. It's ongoing. Um, it's so
1: much work, too. To like actually like be your own creator and ball. I mean, I can't imagine. I we don't do that here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, all social. It's basically a social media platform, sure. And they're all a lot of work. So. Totally. Yeah. Well,
1: I'm, I I I will be subscribing soon, and I look forward to to checking out your vid videos and and recipes on there. I wanted to do some quick quick takes. I mean, this is this is kind of what talking about your cookbook is all about. Pie or cake.
0: I'm gonna say pie, but only because I live in the city and I take the subway or an Uber to get places. And I don't wanna I don't wanna take a cake and public transportation like that. So that's why I'm pie. But if I'm like at my mama's house, I'm making a cake.
1: Practical. I like that. Cookie or brownie?
0: Oh. Brownies.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> Those tough ones. What's your so
1: what's the one brownie recipe that you're super proud of? I'm sure there's a couple in the book, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh. You
0: know, I I actually love the the variation of the brownie recipe, which is a peanut butter brownie recipe, because it's like, oh, I'm like, oh, it's so good. It's like it's got these like cloud, clouds, pockets, whatever of peanut butter. And I was always like, I loved Reese's. Also, oh shout! Yeah, of course. I yeah. also Mom. just loved peanut butter. I yeah. like. I would go home after school and take a spoon of, and yeah. put it in the peanut butter jar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's why I like them.
1: <laughs> Last one, uh, quickie: chocolate, mint, or white chocolate?
0: Chocolate, mint. I think white chocolate always needs to be like white chocolate and
1: right. Chocolate. I don't
0: think it can exist on its own.
1: <laughs> is it? Is it chocolate? I always feel like it's...
0: no. It's not really, but like it's, it's got the qualities. I like, I like white chocolate as a vehicle, Mm -hmm. whether it's for flavor or texture, because it gives you that like Mm -hmm. mouthfeel, melty smoothness.
1: We ask all of our guests in the Taste Podcast, if there was a dream book project in your future without a budget, without time holding you back, what would that book be?
0: Honestly, the book I just published, it, okay. <laughs> it was the dream. Uh. It really was. And, you know, I think I got pretty much everything I wanted for it. Um, there were budgets, but like mm-hmm. they everything just worked out how it was supposed to work out. Like I, I can, I honestly feel like that. And I, maybe it's because leading up to it, Mm -hmm. it was so much questions of like, can you, you know, can you do this? This is, these were, Questions I was being asked, like, "Do you have the platform to write a big baking book? Maybe you should just focus on a single subject." Or, or something. who was
1: asking? Who was this? Your internal dialogue, or was this somebody else asking you these questions?
0: This, this was um, an agent I was working with at the time. Um, but I realized, you know, you know, there's that saying, like, "One monkey doesn't stop the show."
1: Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> it's just like there are gonna be people who don't align with your vision and that's fine. Um, But, you know, I, I was just like, I have to surround myself by people who do align with my vision. Um, And I tell myself that now, like still all the time, it's like, it's okay if one person isn't buying into, into this, we are going to, um, like, you can take what they're saying and you can Mm -hmm. like process it, take that any constructive criticism, you know, and process that and then move along with with your team who who believes in your vision. So um, the fact that I even got to write this book Mm. um, feels really special. And how it came out, I just couldn't be happier.
1: Oh, I know. And it's it's a beautiful book. And I know there's going to be more to come.
0: Yes, absolutely. No, like it's so funny. You were like Valerie Lomas, cookbook author. I was like, yes, yes. This is <laughs> this is my debut book.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like contestant. You know, participant is one category, but then you, like, move on from that and you're, like, a cookbook author and you're going to have two cookbooks and you're going to have four. And...
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a there's such a steep learning curve with writing a cookbook. Yeah. There's, like, no way I'm going to take all of the knowledge and skill I've acquired and, like, not continue to do more with it.
1: Last question, New York City, Foodie New York is your is your handle and your blog. And and I think, um, you know, being here and seeing the reopening and seeing all these restaurants um, get through it all. Um, I didn't prep you on this, but are there any restaurants right now that you're just really excited about in New York that we can just, you know, tell our readers to maybe go check out?
0: Um, Caracas is my favorite. Um, I actually went there last week. It's in Williamsburg. Um, and then there's a cafe called Ginger Cafe in Harlem. Um, it's where I, it's where I go all the <laughs> time. Um, and they, it's you know, they've got great West African beverages and West African inspired food, and just really great, you know, all the coffee products. Get my cappuccino with almond milk.
1: Oh, I love it. And Caracas, I Mirabel, the the owner is is an old acquaintance of and when she opened in the East Village. I love that restaurant. I'm so happy you shouted it out. Arepas.
0: Oh, oh I love the de Pabayon.
1: Oh, that's the guy.
0: Oh, I love that restaurant. It's like
1: it's so good. It,
0: it's like you know, if if I were to ever move from New York and I came back to visit, that would be like the yeah. one place I have to go.
1: I love it. I love and the sauce.
0: This it's look, <laughs> it's all about the sauce. Whenever I take someone new, I'm like, you're not putting enough sauce on on your arepa, you got to put more. I, well, they
1: closed the East Village location during the pandemic, and I went and bought three bottles of the sauce and That's gave it. Really them to smart. It's so good. Smart move. Lomas, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: I wanted to take a few minutes to sit down with Matt and grill him on a topic that he's kind of famous around the office for just being totally obsessed with. So Matt wrote an article for Taste a few months ago called Ranch Isn't a Dressing, It's a Lifestyle. I kind of agree. Like, ranch goes so far beyond just the dressing. But, like, tell me— why you love ranch and like what essentially is ranch like describe like the flavor of ranch as well
1: well first off as a west michigan born child ranch was kind of so, like was, was baked into my into my, my my high school my middle school my elementary school my pre-elementary school diet
2: like, like you were drinking glasses of it with dinner instead of like a glass of milk.
1: It, it was like in a bottle, absolutely. <laughs> like at at age at age one, um, but like ranch to me, and, and the reason I wrote the story, um, and I pitched in our meeting, and I I think it was embraced was because I thought ranch needed some PR. I felt ranch it needed um a tailwind to to really to go even with some of the condiments we've been writing about a lot in the past few years condiments and sauces like chili crisp gochujang preserved lemons you name it there was uh, a sense i think in the in our meeting room that ranch was getting disrespected
2: yeah for sure like thought of as like a kid snack or like a junk food
1: Indeed. And in fact, um, ranch isn't that. Ranch was invented in 1950. Did you know that? 1950.
2: Wow. Earlier than I would have thought.
1: Yeah. There was an Alaska plumber that I don't know his name. I never actually looked it up, but I I, I linked to it in our story. And what he did is he, he moved to California and he started a dude ranch. And so the name comes from the salad dressing that came that was being served to these wealthy individuals who were uh, visiting the dude ranches, I believe in like near Sacramento. Don't quote me on that.
2: So, um, was his uh, ranch dressing recipe pretty similar to what you get in like a bottle of craft or whatever?
1: Definitely. So, in general, this recipe that has remained today is this combination, uh, and it really there are a lot of riffs, but there's some constants. One is dried green herbs. We're talking dill, chives, parsley, that collide with. It's mostly buttermilk. But sometimes you can get recipes with yogurt and mayonnaise. But I think the ones that I like are the classic buttermilk ranch because, as you know, buttermilk has that really, like, overtly sour note to it, but it has richness. I think yogurt is a little too mild, and mayonnaise is just too much. It's like mayonnaise, right?
2: Yeah, it doesn't have the edge, you know? It doesn't have that, like, little bite.
1: It doesn't. And I think that's what kind of differentiates some of the bottle dressings that we will get into. But – So we've got the green herbs, and we've got this dairy. We've got a few other constants. One is dried mustard seed, another is black pepper. Those are really in most of the recipes I'm seeing online and, you know, through the lore of our West Michigan kind of heritage. It's mustard seed and black pepper. And, in fact, I asked Rachel Wharton, who is a journalist and an author— uh, about ranch in the piece, and she called it one of America's mother sauces. What do you think about that?
2: <laughs> I love that. I mean, it really is, like, one of the sauces that American cuisine is, like, founded on, it feels like. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, in a typical grocery store, you have your, like, salad dressing aisle with all the bottles of ranch, But then, like, there's also kind of that whole world of, like, dried ranch flavoring. Right. I've seen it in, like, little packets, which are great. I've seen it in, like, shakers that you can kind of shake onto popcorn or chips or whatever you feel like. And then, obviously, there are all these snack ingredients that are flavored with, like, this dry powder. So, I mean, do you fall into a particular camp?
1: Well, this is a good question because you're really smart when you say there's a dividing line between dehydrated and bottled. So, for me, I typically like the liquid version of ranch. But major caveat here. Most bottled ranch is complete bullshit. It's garbage. It's something you never want to eat. want to even have near a salad or a slice of pizza, and we'll get into that. Okay, so first, let's talk about Hidden Valley. Hidden Valley Ranch is run by a conglomerate. If you ever crack a bottle of Hidden Valley Ranch, that's not ranch. I'm sorry. I'm going. I'm going to the mat on this one. It's it's something that is more. Uh, it leans more sweet. It, it, there's more high fructose corn syrup in there. And even worse, uh, I would call it a crime against gastronomy. Uh, is the light version of Hidden Valley Ranch.
2: Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Light Ranch, I think I first enc- encountered it around 1991 on a McDonald's salad during the early 90s low-fat craze. We read about our 90s issue. Remember that? For sure. And there is nothing worse than that flavor of Light Ranch. So back to the bottles. I think Hidden Valleys is, is pretty bad. Ken's is better Wishbone is a little better, so I'll, mm. I'll go. I'll go with a few of those brands. I've not tried. I'm gonna guess Sir Kensington's has a ranch, but I haven't done that research yet.
2: Yeah, I would guess so too. I mean, do you have like what's your what's the bottle that you always buy?
1: I don't buy a bottle. <laughs>
2: you make it yourself.
1: Well, okay, so I don't make it myself either. I don't buy a bottle that's commercially available in terms of on the like grocery store shelf. I buy a bottle that is sold at my favorite Detroit, Michigan pizza restaurant, pizzeria.
2: I've heard tales of this.
1: Absolutely. But going back quickly, I wanted to talk about this dehydrated powder cuz you are more of a fan of that and I want to hear your take on the dehydrated packets, how you can cook with them you're on that camp, right? You're on that side.
2: I love the dehydrated ranch flavoring. It's so good. I mean, it's like gross once you look at the ingredients, because it's usually some kind of combination of dehydrated milk, (laughs) citric acid, definitely MSG, like a little bit of sugar. And then like either dried herbs or like, I feel like with, cool ranch Doritos like it's more like just like artificial green specks to make you feel like it's ranch but I love the dried powdering it I mean it's so good on snack foods you can do all kinds of things with it
1: yeah in 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 in, on taste in in this article I wrote we have links to a few recipes um back to the bottled ranch want to go there Back to the, the the pizza ranch. What do you yeah. think? Yeah.
2: Okay. So I wanted to like talk through a few different ranch scenarios. Right. 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 Um, since you're kind of like the resident expert, one oh. of them is pizza and ranch. Like this is a regional thing.
1: It is. Uh, we talked about this at length. We talked about this on our in our Slack rooms. Talked about this on Zoom. We talked about this in person. It's really interesting how ranch is 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 served on pizza. It's not necessarily. Um, a, a United States of America thing. I found that in Michigan, which is arguably home to the, the fast food pizza um, industry with Domino's and Little Caesars being from the east side of the state. Um, I found the ranch on pizza there is, is almost like law. Like it is definitely like word is bond with that stuff. So for me, I, I there's two main chains I go to in Detroit. One is called Jets. One is called Buddies. I am Team Buddies personally. My 7-year-old nephew Isaac is Team Buddies. We both are on a buddy, we have a united buddies front. So when you order a pizza at Buddies, which is like the classic Detroit style pan pizza, there's frika on the bottom that like crispy cheese, there's great corner slices. You know, there's another day to talk about different regional pizzas here on the Taste podcast, but really when you order a Buddies pizza, you order you order a bottle of ranch dressing with it
2: i love it that's the unit like one pizza plus one whole bottle of ranch
1: it comes with a little red top you take the top off you squeeze it you you buy it it's like in the it's in the cooler section so this ranch is cool because it's 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 absolutely delicious like really it's it's savory beyond savory. There's no hint of that that weird sweet gummy flavor that you get in some of the bottles. It's really savory and, and salty. And it definitely has some of that um, onion powder and salt in it and MSG that I love. And of course, on pizza, I am like for this. I am like definitely a thumbs up when it comes to ranch on pizza.
2: There's also something about dipping like something hot like pizza into ranch because it kind of has this cooling effect. I think that's why a lot of people are really into dipping their chicken wings into ranch, which to me is so sacrilegious. Like I'm from Buffalo. It's got to be blue cheese. But there are a lot of people who like wings and ranch.
1: Really good point, Anna. So you are from Buffalo. You've made the statement, I believe, that it is a west of Buffalo, east of Buffalo ranch, blue cheese kind of scenario.
2: I think that must be the divide because, you know, none of us Western New Yorkers are dipping our wings in ranch.
1: Lucas Sin is a chef in New York um, and he's uh, been featured on Taste a couple of times and he's a great guy and and really like big brain when it comes to food and food science. I highly recommend the follow. So I interviewed him for the, the piece I wrote on ranch and here's his quote. Ranch in a lot of ways is a perfect equalizer to the acidity and heat of hot sauce Buffalo sauce and ranch is the most obvious pairing, but it can be fun when it's used in less obvious non-wing contexts. What might those contexts be, Anna?
2: Well, Lucas has a recipe for ranch fried rice, yes. I believe, that he made a video of for food and wine a few months back. Yeah,
1: it's great. He he is absolutely on some onto something with that ranch-fried rice. And Nice Day Cafe, Nice Day Restaurant, that's one of his restaurants, Junzi Kitchen as well. He serves that from time to time.
2: It's kind of genius and kind of terrifying. (laughs) It
1: is both, exactly.
2: Speaking of kind of terrifying, um, this TikTok trend of ranch pickles, have you tried it?
1: Um, I've tried to avoid it. That's what I'm going to say. I've tried to avoid it.
2: The concept, you open up like a, one of those plastic core containers of like dill pickle spheres. It makes that sound
1: like... Whoosh, whoosh. That's yes. not good. I'm sorry. I'm not a Foley artist. That's really bad, And actually.
2: then you dump like a whole packet, sometimes two packets, of the dried ranch flavoring into the pickling liquid. What happens is that it turns like a really gross, like, like a green milk kind of appearance. <laughs> yes. Like a watery green milk. Um, and then it's sort of like, Infuses the pickles with ranch flavoring. It's good, but kind of disgusting (laughs) at the same time. You've you've done it. I've had it at a friend's. You've had it at a party. Tammy Teclamerium. Okay. Shout out to Tammy. She she
1: tried it out. I think that um, my thought is that it's a cool visual trick and it works great for TikTok. Um, I think Vlasic is a great product. I would go with Vlasic for like more like the industrial. I wouldn't go with like the fancy like Hudson, New York, like pickles that cost like $14 <laughs> for six spears. I would go with Vlasic. I think it's probably pretty good when you serve it with something. I'm not a big like pull out the, the spear snack on a guy. I don't know, but I, I'm into it. I'm into trying it. Okay.
2: It's a good party trick. Just if you want to yeah. keep people on their toes a little
1: bit. I like bit. that. Okay. Okay.
2: Another uh recent ranch breakthrough I've had was – um. So Doritos Cool Ranch, classic, delicious, perfect snack. I recently in the grocery store saw a bag of Lay's that had like they were sort of like a limited edition crossover that were flavored like Doritos Cool Ranch. But they were just like straight up potato chips. Those were really good.
1: So is this a a rival to the blue bag of Doritos you're saying potentially from Lay's, from Team Lay's?
2: I don't think it's really a rival, but it's um, more of just like a crossover fanfic type thing.
1: I, you know, I like, I like the sour cream and onion lays. I mean, salt and vinegar is pretty good. I like using that for when, for like a cutlet. For when I'm frying cutlets, I use salt and pepper vinegar, salt and vinegar chips often then. Same, totally. It's the best. But I, I don't know about ranch lays, but you're, you you're into it, right?
2: They're really good. Yeah, they're so salty, but they're so good. Nice. Another favorite ranch snack is firecrackers. Have you had firecrackers?
1: I have when you made them and we did a photo shoot back in our Greenpoint, Brooklyn office, I recall.
2: So the concept behind firecrackers, I wrote about it for Taste a year or so ago. The concept is you kind of like marinate a whole box of saltines in um, oil, like a combination sometimes of vegetable oil and olive oil. And then you pour in a whole packet of ranch seasoning, sometimes like a little pepper or red pepper flakes just to add a little bite. And then you just like marinate it and then like bake it really briefly to kind of lock in all the flavor.
1: So I'm really liking this, Anna. And I th- I'm reminded of oyster crackers. And I think one thing that you mentioned is the oil. And it is like a shitload of oil. It is yeah. like so much oil. That is why when you get like one of those carafts of oyster crackers, maybe you're in Maine, maybe you're in like Southern California in the Orange County area. And, and you, you got this big carafe put in, the, in front of you. And you're like, why do I keep eating these? It's because there's literally two cups of oil in there. And that's why uh, it works so well with the ranch. And there's some kind of delivery method, you know, fat going into the crackers with the flavor being delivered directly in, like penetrating the cracker. I love it so much. It was really good when you – when you. I haven't made it, but it's really good.
2: They're really good, yeah. You wouldn't think to, like, marinate crackers until you try it, but they're so good.
1: Yeah. I see on our notes Starka's Bacon Ranch Flavored Tuna. I'm really, (laughs) really interested in this – Product, Anna, have you checked it out? You're, you know, one who knows your way around a tin fish.
2: I do. Okay, so, I mean, this is, like, part of a wider trend of, like, ranch plus other flavoring. Like, I'm seeing a lot of bacon ranch in recipes and in, um, like, bottled products. Chipotle ranch, ranch taco seasoning, and, like, star-kissed bacon ranch-flavored tuna. I haven't tried it, but that sounds... Really bad, to really be, vile. I mean, honest. I was gonna
1: say I was like waiting for the second of you to say bad because I didn't want to say good and you say bad or bad I say good. I really wanted you to lead the conversation, <laughs> so you said bad. I said bad really quickly after you.
2: Yeah, I mean, tuna doesn't need bacon to be good. No,
1: it, it feels like you are. Um, it's like left brain, right brain. I don't understand why tuna would ever be close to bacon. Like every, like even in the same realm. Like I don't. I I don't know. There's no culture I'm thinking of that would blend cured pork belly with a tinned conserva. It doesn't make sense to me.
2: Yeah. And way too much salt.
1: Yeah. Duh. I mean, though, are we anti-salt on this podcast?
2: No, absolutely not. (laughs) I I mean, we just talked about ranch for the last 15 minutes. It's
1: true. We aren't really anti-salt. We are pro-salt. So I think we could talk about this all day. We could maybe even mine the internet for some dessert recipes, but I don't really want to go there. No, I don't want to go there. I don't think we should go there.
2: There are certain places we shouldn't go with ranch. Definitely not. Anyways, you can read more about ways to incorporate ranch into your fried rice, pickles, and firecrackers on tastecooking.com. Thanks,
1: guys. Thanks, guys.
2: taste podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Hiesel. The show is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Visit taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.